third, I'm sorry, not the third, but the 30th chapter of Genesis. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, we're so thankful for your word, God, that it's a roadmap for us to follow. I can't imagine trying to serve you and not know which way to go. You made sure that we would have direction, and we thank you for it. I ask God now that we apply that direction to our hearts and that we embrace it and follow after it with all that we are. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak to you for just a little while this morning on this topic. It takes more than a myth. Would you say that with me? It takes more than a myth. How many of you remember some of the myths that we heard growing up? You remember when you'd be looking at your neighbor, so you, you know, you'd get in an argument with someone and you'd stick your tongue out at them, you know, make some ugly looking face and your parents would say, what? Your face is going to freeze that way. Well, that was a myth. No, I never met anybody going around like that, you know, that, because they, what happened to you? I stuck my tongue out once too many times. So those were myths, things that, that we were told that really weren't true. How many of you remember the one about chewing gum? You swallow chewing gum, and it'll make your insides stick together. And then you can't digest that for seven years. The, you never heard that? Man, how many of you heard it? Wave your hand if you heard it. See, look at that. You're all by yourself. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. So what happened is that uh, the, 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 actual, the fact of the matter is that chewing gum is not digestible. So once you chew it, you're going to lose it in about two to four days. And I mean, unless you just swallow a wad about that big and then good luck. But uh, myths, things that, that we were told that really weren't true at all. Do you remember the one about, oh, the boogeyman is in the closet? Is it boogie or bogey? Thank you. I've, I've, I've heard, as a matter of fact, I saw some show and they say the boogeyman. I thought, who's the bogeyman? You know, I know who the boogeyman is. And I thought, the last thing I need is somebody else to worry about under my bed. You know, a boogie, and now there's a bogey. And I'm thinking, oh, no. And so, you know, and, and, and it, would, it would sink into your mind, and you'd think about that stuff. We, we didn't have closets. You know, we had 16 penny nails nailed into a wall with our you know, shirts hung on it. And I remember, you know, going to bed at night and thinking about, you know, somebody under my bed or something. All of a sudden you look up and there's a head growing out of that shirt that's hanging on the wall. And I, dad, dad, I want you to know the bogeyman was afraid of my father. Boogie, bogey, whatever his name was. He was afraid because every time my dad came in the room and flipped the light on, he was gone. And so those were myths that we grew up with. What, probably one of the, uh, you remember this one? You sit too close to the television, you're going to go blind. But probably my favorite and the one that really, uh, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of them. If you lie, your nose is going to grow. If you, th this is the one that got me, is if you, if you swallow a watermelon seed, Now you understand. It, it, uh, for a long time, man, I thought I had a watermelon growing in here. In that. But if you swallow watermelon seed, you're going to, you know, that watermelon will grow inside your stomach. And, man, I remember I swallowed one as a kid. I'm going, <coughs> try to get it up. I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to have watermelons coming out my ears. We're told a lot of things that there really wasn't any truth to. It was just, and, you know, it, it was a part of culture, a part of uh, 
you know, what we grow, grew up hearing. In Old Testament culture, and when I'm talking about Old Testament culture, I'm not talking about something that God established. This was not something that God said. This was about what the culture of that day said. And this is what it said concerning women, that if you were childless, you were worthless. That's what the culture of that day was. How many of you know that that's a myth? And it, and, and it even extended beyond that. In the Old Testament culture, it extended to unless you had sons, you were worthless. And so, but when you read Scripture, you see how some of that culture perpetrated the minds of even believers and how that they began to play out according to a, or act out a myth rather than seeking truth. So look at Genesis chapter 30 and verse 1. Now when Rachel saw that she bore no or that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Rachel is so grief-stricken because she has no children. She feels like she's not just useless. Everybody say unfruitful. How many of you want your life to produce for God? So I want you to pay close attention to what I'm going to say today because I'm going to tie these two things together about how that she is feeling unproductive, she's feeling useless, unfruitful because she's not having children. And yet there is a deep desire in all of us that even men can relate to this because we all want to produce for God. She thinks the only way that she can, she, since she's not able to do it, she goes to Jacob and begins to demand it. Give me children or else I'm going to die. And Jacob looks at her and man, he gets upset with her. Well, am I God? I can't give you, you know, and, and so it's this back and forth, you know, and, and this frustration that begins to build. Something else happens that shows you that Rachel's mind is going down the wrong track. Watch this. Rachel, I'm kind of hungry, actually. What a day. It's gorgeous out here. I know. I know. I know. Oh. Mandrakes. Mandrakes? <laughs> he found mandrakes. That's great, Reuben. Come on out. Oh, come on. Can I have one of those mandrakes? No. 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 Oh. Seriously? First you take my husband, and now you oh. want my son's mandrakes? Okay. I well, don't think so. No. Well, okay, how about this? You give me a mandrake, and you can have Jacob tonight. <laughs> okay. All, All right. right. Give her this. give her the mandrake. Oh my gosh. Oh god. I'm glad she's happy now. What what just happened? If you look at it in scripture, let's look at it in chapter 30 verses 14 and 15. Now Reuben went into the day or went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. 
I wonder if Jacob felt like a prize bull, just getting passed around, you know, and the, Think about this. What is she doing? She's going, look, you can, you can have Jacob if you give me the mandrakes. Josephus wrote about these mandrakes. Josephus was a historian that came along and wrote about these times. And Josephus recorded that mandrakes are from the mandragora. It's an herb resembling belladonna with a root like a carrot having a white and reddish blossoms and a sweet smell with yellow apples. They ripened in May and June, and they were believed to cause you to be fertile. They were also to believe to be, you could concoct a love potion from it. She didn't need any love potion. She had Jacob's heart, but she wasn't fertile. And so she believed that if she could get these mandrakes, these mandrakes would make her fertile. Consequently, while she's having mandrakes for supper, Leah's having a relationship with Jacob, and Leah produces a child. It takes more than a myth to produce. Say it with me. It takes more than a myth. So hang out here with me a minute. You say, well, what's all that got to do with us well how many times have we fallen for the myth all you got to do to get to heaven is go to church and pay your tithes hey you ought to do those things but it's a myth if you think that's going to get you into heaven Amen. see you can't get into heaven without a relationship with God and here's something here's another one for you you can't have a relationship with God without a relationship with Christ Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except by me. You can't get to him unless you come through me. What's he saying? He's saying the idea that as long as we just go to church and be good is going to get us to heaven is a myth. You cannot produce. You can, there are certain things that are not going to happen in your life until you get a relationship. Everybody say relationship. Now, I asked you a little bit earlier, how many of you wanted your life to produce for God? And several of you raised your hands. If you want your life to produce for God, you've got to have a relationship with God. You, you, can't, you can't have babies without relationship. Oh, wait a minute. You just switched pages. Or something. No, no, no. Listen to me. How many of you have ever experienced sharing the relationship you have with God with someone else and saw it change their life forever. <laughs> There's no feeling like that. There's no feeling like that. Man, Debbie used to, you know, she was, she was going out all the time. She said, man, I got to go. She said, I'm called to shop. Because honestly, man, she would go in to, to the mall or she'd go in to, you know, the grocery store. She'd go into, I remember she went into Kmart one time and some lady was in there and she's ministering to her. And this is in the front door of Kmart. And all of a sudden the lady, she, she started to pray for the lady and the lady falls down in the floor speaking in tongues. <laughs> The manager of the store ran up and said, we need to get an ambulance. Do we need? She said, no, no, is she going to be okay? She said, I hope. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it just happens. See, here's the problem. 
is we've put God outside of the marketplace so much that we bought into the myth that the only place you can find God is in the church. I didn't come to church to find God. I came to church because I had found God. Can I tell you that God is everywhere? Well, how do you know that? Because he's in us. And if he's in us, he's everywhere. But it takes more than a myth to produce. Everybody say, you have to produce. Now look, Rachel is chewing out Jacob. She's running around eating magic apples. And none of it is causing her to produce. As a matter of fact, she doesn't finally produce until she begins to put all of her trust in God. And she realized that it takes more than a myth. It takes a relationship. Somebody say it with me. I need a relationship. Eating mandrakes isn't going to make you fruitful. But a relationship with God will. When Rachel finally produces... Rachel's finally fruitful. She's cried out to God and God, and the scripture says that God heard her prayer. He, he answered her cry that he looked on her. And she gave birth to a son and she called his name Joseph. Everybody say Joseph. Rachel is Joseph's mother. What's so powerful about that? Because Rachel had to find out the hard way that if you want to be fruitful, you have to have relationship. If you look at all of Jacob's 12 sons, he does not have one son among them that understands relationship more than Joseph. Joseph begins to understand how important a relationship with the father is. I want you to look at both sides of that coin. Not only does he have a close relationship with his natural father, but it's the relationship he has with his heavenly father that makes the difference in his life. His natural daddy gave him a coat uh, how many of you know that your spiritual daddy will give you a lot more than a coat? <laughs> oh, he gives you a garment, a brand new garment. He gives you beauty for ashes and a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He knows how to do that. But Joseph has a dream. How many of you, well, I know you've already said it, but your dream is for your life to be productive for God, to be fruitful for God. How many of you have ever had a dream and somebody reigned all over it? Told you, tried to step on your dream. Joseph understood that. Joseph starts has, having dreams, man. He dreams about stars and the moon, and he dreams about sheaves in the field and bowing down to him. And all those dreams kept pointing to, I'm going to do something special in your life. You need to hear what I'm going to say. There's not a person that has ever drew a breath that God did not intend to do something special in their life. 
that you have worth and you have value. Don't you buy into the myth of the world that unless you go along with everybody else, you're useless and you're worthless. I remember being pressured as a teenager to go drink with a bunch of guys and they all get, come on, come on, come on, you can do it. I never had a problem with it. You can do it, you can do it. I looked at him and I said, do you know what? I don't have to drink to prove I'm a man. I was a man before I ever pressed a bottle against my lips. You gotta make up your mind what it takes to have a relationship, what it takes for your life to produce. Joseph makes up his mind, I'm going to hold on to God. He's got brothers that are putting him down. He's got a father that's questioning his, these dreams. Do you really think you're going to, that your mother and I are going to bow down to you? But Joseph isn't focused on them. He's focused on him. And can I tell you that you will be a myth buster the day that you quit focusing on everybody else and you start focusing on God. The day that we, you know, the devil tries to make you believe that if you can just achieve, you know, if, if you can just find favor with people, favor with people can trap you if you're not careful. But when you find favor with God, he'll order every step you take. Somebody say it with me, more than a myth. So what happened to Joseph? Well, you know his story. His father sends him to go check on his brothers. They live in Hebron. Jacob has sent his sons to go feed the sheep over in Shechem, which is nearly 50 miles from where they live. So he sends Joseph to check up on them. How many of you ever had a brother or sister that was always telling mom and dad what you were doing? You just love them. <laughs> I was the youngest in my family. It was my job to let mom and dad know what everybody else was doing. <laughs> I had a brother one time. I let dad know. I said, you know, Daryl's in there and he's smoking that pipe. And I said, he's got cherry tobacco over some marijuana. My dad walked into the living room. He took that pipe, dumped it out, and I had told the truth. <laughs> I was so proud of myself. Daryl got me outside later and he said, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> you go ahead and kill me and I'll tell dad. <laughs> They hated him. They, he, goes, he travels 50 miles to check up on them. When he gets there, they're not there. They're another 15 miles away in a place called Dothan. So Jake, or Joseph goes to Dothan, and he sees them there, and they see Joseph coming. And these brothers begin to plot, man, we're 65 miles away from home. Let's kill this dreamer. And let's find out what happens to his dreams. You need to understand that there are some people that are afraid to climb mountains. And so not only will they not climb a mountain, but they do the best they can to keep you from climbing yours. 
you got to make up your mind that no matter how hard it gets, I'm not letting go. I'm going to reach the top of my mountain. God has called me for purpose. He has a plan for my life, and I am not going to be pushed down. How many of you have ever felt like you were pushed down? And Man, sometimes being pushed down is tough, isn't it? So Joseph, all of a sudden, he finds himself walking into a plot of assassination. They're going to kill him. Reuben jumps up and he said, no, no, man, we can't. We're not going to kill him. Let's just throw him in this pit. He loved him. Not really. He just was trying to find favor with his dad because his dad was already upset with him over something he had done with one of his father's wives. See, everybody thinks that living for God is just so clean and neat. And apparently, you've never read Scripture because <laughs> it gets pretty nasty. It gets pretty messy. The good news is God will never leave you in your mess. He comes to rescue you. They take Joseph and they sell him as a slave. His own brothers sell him as a slave and then if that's not bad enough, once he becomes a slave, his, his master, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife says Joseph tried to rape her, and Potiphar throws him in prison. And now he's in prison, and he's... Any of you ever have a bad day? <laughs> you know, there's something about Joseph that I noticed, though. When I started studying his life, and I looked at him, not one time... Do I see Joseph blaming God? Not one time do I see Joseph grumbling to God. I can't believe you let this happen to me. Have you ever been there? I'd be lying to you if I said I hadn't. God, I don't understand this. I don't, how could you let this happen? But Joseph had something. He had a relationship with God that refused to let go. And when his own brothers turned against him and wanted him dead, when they sold him as a slave, when he, he finds himself being accused falsely, he finds himself in a prison, but when he speaks to the chief baker concerning his dream, he tells the baker, when you stand before Pharaoh, tell him about me. Don't forget me, he said, because I was kidnapped and I was sold as a slave and I've done nothing worthy to be here. What's missing from that? There's no accusation to God. He's not blaming God about anything. He's just looking at a situation and saying, I didn't do anything worthy to be here. But he refused to let go of God. No matter where you find yourself, you got, if you want a relationship, if you want your life to produce, don't start blaming God. Begin to say, God, I don't know why this is happening, but I trust you. I know you're able. And I know you will see me through. Joseph holds on to his relationship with God. When they run to get him, when Pharaoh has a dream, and the butler remembers Joseph, 
You know, what's unique if you read Scripture, you find out that when Joseph interpret, interprets the butler's dream and the baker's dream, and they both happened just the way he said it would, the baker was impaled on a pole, and the butler's restored to his position. But it said that when the butler was restored to his position, he never gave Jake or Joseph a second thought. Have you ever been there where all of a sudden you do something to help someone and you're completely forgotten? They never think twice about you. You, you helped them. You, you, you did something for them that really made a difference for them, and, and they didn't even turn around to say thanks. Can I tell you that God is faithful? not to forget your labor of love. <laughs> Everybody else may forget you, but God will not forget you. When Pharaoh has that dream two years later, all of a sudden the baker or the butler remembers Joseph. He tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh sends for him in the prison. He goes inside the prison, they get him out, they wash him up, give him a shave, put new clothes on him, and he's standing before Pharaoh. And listen to what he says. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night. This is in Genesis 41 and 15. I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Right there. That's when you move in for the kill, right? That's when Joseph looks at him and says, well... Yeah, that's true, and I'm sure we could come to some sort of agreement. I'll tell you about your dream if you get me out of this jail. He doesn't do that. He doesn't try and manipulate his way into a position. He doesn't try and connive and finagle and barter his way out of prison. This is what he does do. Remember, Pharaoh just said, I've heard that you, you can interpret a dream. And this is what Joseph said to him. It is beyond my power to do this. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. <laughs> What's he doing? When he sees a way out, he refuses to try and make it happen. He refuses to take glory. Instead, he gives all glory to God. The scripture said, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your father. Man, we live in a culture where it's all about moi. Turn around, look at your name and say, it's about me, baby. About me. If, I, if, I, if my name ain't on the bulletin, it ain't happening. If my name ain't up in lights, if I ain't singing on the platform, I ain't singing in the pulpit. I mean in the, what's that called? Pew, thank you. I may not be able to enunciate my words, but you ought to hear me sing. 
if I don't get the promotion, I'm quitting. Let me know how that one works out for you. You see, this is one thing about Joseph. In every situation Joseph's in, I never see him trying to lift himself up. He's always lifting up God. And in this situation, he lifts up God. And let me show you what happens when you've got a relationship with God. Because when you have a relationship with God, you're not even thinking about lifting yourself up. You just want to lift him up. You're not thinking about any glory for yourself. You're just thinking about how good he is. And when he starts interpreting the dream that God gave him the ability to do, then guess what happens? He goes from the prison to the palace, from a slave to a ruler, from kidnapped to the kingdom. But no matter how broken he had been, he was always blessed. Hear what I'm saying. When they made him a slave... He became head over Potiphar's house. When they threw him in prison, he became the head over the prison. Because no matter how many devils attack you, God will raise you up. God will lift you up. Somebody say, I may be down, but I ain't out. (laughs) The devil will make you try and feel like the entire war is won or lost with one battle. You ever get knocked down before? I was, in, I was playing football in school. Guy, they did a snap. Man, a guy hit me, nearly put my teeth through my lip. I'm spitting out blood. And they said, you need to go, you need to, go to, to the medic. You need to go see the coach. I said, in a minute. I waited for one more snap. <laughs> I thought, I may have to walk out the, off this field, but I ain't walking off until I get my turn. You need to recognize God. If you're faithful, God will give you your turn. You may be bleeding when it happens. (laughs) But the other guy was trying to figure out what hit him when he was on the ground. Because I made sure I made it count. The devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's like one. That doesn't make him one. You can roar like a lion all day long. But if I throw you in the cage with a lion, we're going to find out who the real one is and who's just been faking it. The Bible said concerning Jesus, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. It takes more than a myth. It takes a relationship with God. Joseph recognized it. It didn't come from eating a piece of magical fruit. It came because he trusted God and refused to let go of him. In 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 12, in the Amplified, Paul is speaking. And listen to Paul's words. Now, Paul had believed in a myth for a large portion of his life. He was fulfilling the law. He was doing all the stuff. But it was just a myth, man. He didn't have a relationship with God. He was killing people. That's not a relationship with God. He's having people put to death. And then all of a sudden, everything changed in a moment. And Paul 
laid down the myth and embraced the relationship. And when he embraced the relationship, everything changed. Somebody say it with me, everything changed. Now listen to what Paul is saying in 2 Timothy 1 and 9. For he delivered us and saved us and called us with a holy calling, a calling that leads to a consecrated life, a life set apart, a life of purpose. Not because of our works or because of any personal merit. We could do nothing to earn this. But because of his own purpose and grace, his amazing undeserved favor, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus before the world began eternal ages ago. Verse 12, this is why I suffer as I do. Still, I'm not ashamed, for I know him and I'm personally acquainted with him whom I have believed with absolute trust and confidence in him and in the truth of his deity. And I am persuaded beyond any doubt that he's able to guard that which I've entrusted to him until that day when I stand before him. Come on and give him a hand clap of praise. What's he saying? He's saying, I got more than a myth, friend. I got a relationship. I got something that the, you remember that song, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. Man, I got a hold of something that was so real when I finally gave my life to God. I didn't know who he was or anything about him. But when I got introduced to him, I laid a hold of him. Look, I'm, I'm going to turn older this year. <laughs> and, and after all these years, I still get excited about him. I'm still like a kid when it comes to thinking about him. Sometimes when I talk about him, I can't help but get choked up because I think about all that he's done for me. For the last over 30 years of my life, he allowed me to share this message for him on a full-time basis. Man, who gets that? Do you know what I'm talking about? It wasn't because I was special. It wasn't because, but I wanted a relationship with him. I wanted something that was real. And I found it in him. How about you? Somebody said, well, I want more of God. I always tell folks, I said, you know, we got as much of God as we want. Because <laughs> if we want more, we can have more. You just have to go after it. Everybody say, go after it. How many of you sitting around the house got a, buy one of those big old tubs of ice cream? You know what I'm talking about, those gallon and a half pails of ice cream and you you go in there you know and your wife brings you out a little saucer <laughs> here baby I thought you might want some of this <laughs> what do you do I don't wait for her to go get me some more I just wait till she ain't looking what are you talking about? Why is it that we, well, you know, my, my family's not serving God or my friend's not serving God. I don't care if everybody, you've got to get made up in your mind. It doesn't matter who's serving God, who isn't serving God. I'm going after some. I just step out of my way. I'm headed to the freezer. I'm going to get me some ice cream. You've got to make up your mind. You're going to get you some Jesus. A lot of times I, I see people 
Sometimes in a, you know, when you're up here, you see everybody's facial expressions. Sometimes I see people in pews and what what'd they do? I messed up my thigh. Sometimes you see people in pews, you know, and like act like I'm in the middle of the pew. Just, I don't know. They probably lost me. I'm sorry, guys. Oh, dear God. <laughs> so you're in, you're in the middle of a pew and you're sitting like this. And all of a sudden as you're sitting like this, Oh, I can see myself. You, you said like this. And then, you know, and then he says, he, he calls for people to, okay, everybody stand. Everybody stands. And then all of a sudden, God's dealing with your heart. But I got, I got two people in front of me, you know, and, you know, and they don't look like they're too friendly. And I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm afraid, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I'm just kind of stuck. I'm sorry, folks. I've been in too many services, and it's like, look, if you ain't going up, get out of my way. I'm coming through here. I'm coming through. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I, I don't care what anybody else says. I want a relationship with God, and I can't get it if I'm always thinking about them instead of him. Somebody shout it with me. More than a myth. So finally, now watch Joseph. Okay, you can be seated. I'm almost done. So at the end, Joseph, by embracing God, by holding on to God, finds himself in command of Egypt. Pharaoh told Joseph, only on the throne will I have more power than you. No one will raise their hand in Egypt without your word. That's not bad for a guy that just spent several years in prison, huh? You need to understand, it's not how you start out in this race, but he that endures to the end. <laughs> and so he, by holding on to God, Joseph not only saved his life and his family's life, Joseph saved nations. They would have been consumed by famine, but Joseph did it to honor God. His entire family is moved to Egypt. When they get to Egypt, the, Jacob is there and Jacob's about to die. Okay, you ever been in a movie where all of a sudden they flash back? That's what we're doing right now. We're gonna flash back. When Joseph became ruler, Think about it, from the prison to the palace in a moment. He just didn't become a ruler. He got a wife with a deal. He, got, he, he gets, and man, I mean, she was good looking. How do you know? I saw the movie. I saw. And then all of a sudden he has a child. And he calls the child's name Manessa. First son he has, his name is Manasseh. What does Manasseh's name mean? To forget. He said, God has caused me to forget all my troubles and my father's house. Stay with me here for just a second. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, well, just forget it then? Or have you ever heard the term, forget you? That's where Joseph is at. If you don't believe me, look what he does when his brothers show up. Joseph is still hurting 
And he said, well, just forget it. But he has another son. And he names the other son Ephraim. And Ephraim's name means fruitful. Joseph said, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my enemy. What's he saying? He said, God gave me purpose. God had a plan for my life. When I felt like it was over and I didn't understand all this, God knew what he was doing all along, and he made me fruitful. So later he looks at his brothers and he said, you meant it for harm, but God intended it for good. I'm not mad anymore. I'm not upset anymore. It's all good. Now, Jacob is about to die. Let me borrow you, David, Jason. Oh, I didn't see. Okay, come on up. Let me... Okay, come on up here. Okay, kneel down in front of me. You're older, right? Yes. Okay, so Joseph brings his two boys and sets them in front of Jacob. He says, Father, I want you to bless my children. Joseph intentionally puts Manasseh at Jacob's right hand and Ephraim at his left hand. Because the right hand signified the blessing. It doesn't mean that the left hand, that you're not blessed, but the the right hand was the double portion. It was the hand of strength. And so he said, scoot in a little bit. He, He puts them in front of him for him to pray. But when Jacob goes to pray for them, he crosses his hands and he begins to bless them. And Joseph listens to him blessing him. And Joseph goes, no, no, father, no. For Manasseh, the oldest, put your right hand on his head. Can I give it to you in plain English? He said, I know he's older and and God's going to bless him. It's going to be okay. But you need to understand something. God never intended for you just to live in a life of forgetfulness and forget people that hurt you or forget people that harmed you. He wanted you to live in a life of forgiveness because when you forgive, you become fruitful. I'll bless your fruitfulness, but I'm not going to bless that unforgiveness. I'll bless your fruitfulness. And so when it came to Ephraim, Everywhere you read in Old Testament, may you be like Ephraim. May God multiply you like Ephraim. And even when Ephraim had sinned, in the book of Hosea, when he talks about it, he said, what shall I do with Ephraim because of all of his wandering? And yet he makes a statement. He said, I will gather him to me. I'm not going to forsake him. I'm not going to forget him. I'm going to bring him back to me. Everybody say Ephraim. Everybody say take the tie off. Oh, I thought I fixed it. God bless me. Would you stand with me? God has blessed me in the land of my enemy. He has made me fruitful. Do you get it? It takes more than a myth for God to bless your life, for your life to be fruitful. It takes a relationship. I don't mean this wrong, but man, I've met some Christians that were some of the most unforgiving people I'd ever seen in my life. When I traveled, I met a man, I met a woman and a daughter 
that had not spoken to each other, what was it, in 15, 25 years. Had not, can you fathom that? They were up in years, man. This lady's in her 80s. She's, she's going to die soon. And a daughter had not spoken. Well, you don't know what she did. I can tell you, I'm sure you did something too. Here's the good news is that there's music coming from somewhere. That must be the heavenly choir. It's from over in the kids' room. I thought for a minute we were all going there. Here's the good news. It's God does know. God knows what we've done. And he loves us anyway. (laughs) Somebody ought to give him a hand clap of praise for that. He loves us anyway. So this is what I want to do. I want to give you an opportunity here this morning. If you're in here and you say, Pastor, I want my life to produce. I want you to come to the front of the building with me. Let me instruct you in a few things first. You need to understand that your life doesn't produce without relationship. I had a guy one time, a friend of mine I was working with, and he he quit going to church. He said, I don't have to go to church to live for God. I looked at him, I said, you, you mean to tell me you, you've got enough? He said, I, I, don't, I don't have to go to church to live for God. He said, I, I got enough. I can live for God, by my, you know, without the church. I said, you got enough for you and your family? He said, yeah, I got enough for me and my family. I said, you got enough for you and your family without going to church. He said, yes, I got enough for me and my family without going to church. I looked at him, I said, you are the stingiest person I've ever met in my life. His eyes got real big. I said, you got a relationship with God like that, and you're going to set it home and not share it with others? All of a sudden, his eyes got He was in church the next week. We forget it takes a relationship. I don't want to just barely get to heaven. I want to have, you you understand that ministry operates from an overflow. You can't do ministry from the bottom of the barrel. So the only way that I can do ministry is to make sure that my cup runneth over. The only way my cup runs over is if I spend time with him. When I was reading this yesterday and I was looking at all these things and it just, it, it just gripped my heart. God, I want that kind of relationship. I want my life to be fruitful. I don't know how much time I get here, but when my time comes to leave, I want to know that I've been able to make a difference in someone's life. That there'll be people that are able to point a finger and say, I found Christ because of him sharing with me. I came to know Jesus 
because of something he said. Fruitful. Are you ready? Stretch your hands to heaven with me right now. I know the story about the man who sounds Kurt said he, I, he knew the story about the man in the socks because he was with him. Fruitful. All it takes. Well, I want to do some big thing. You should try starting with a pair of socks. That was big to that person. That was huge for him. Fruitful. Quit thinking that you're useless and that you're worthless and that you don't matter. That's not you being humble. That's you saying God's not big enough. You've got to believe that God is big enough to use you. It's the only reason I went into other countries. It wasn't because that I was all that in a bag of chips. It was because I believed that God was big enough that he could use someone as insignificant as I am to be able to touch somebody else. And you know what happened? It didn't just happen for me. It happened for thousands of people that went with us. God used them. God is going to use you. Are you ready for it? If you are, I want you to step down here with me real quick. Come down here. Everybody gets nervous. Come down here. Stretch your hands to heaven. Say it with me. Lord, use me. Say it again. Lord, use me. Dean, God has already used you. He's used your broadcast. He used your testimony. All the pain you went through wasn't in vain. God has taken your pain and turned it into his promise. People are hearing about it and saying, God, if you can do that for him, you can do that for me. Are you ready for God to do it? Why don't you just, I was going to pray for you all, but I... You know, I'm talking about being fruitful, so I think probably the best way you could see that is just to do it. So I want you to take a hold of hands with someone that you're standing by. Everybody get a hand. And this is what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to sincerely, from the depths of your heart, to pray for each person whose hand you're holding and ask God to use them to the fullest, to cause their life to be fruitful in ways that they never dreamed was possible. Do you really think that when Joseph went in before Pharaoh that he was thinking, I'm going to be turned into a ruler? No, he was thinking, man, I don't know what's happening, and I, but God, here I am. And when he had an opportunity to give God glory, he gave God glory, and God changed him forever. Stretch your hands to heaven with me right now. Are you ready for a forever change? Come on, a forever. Come here a minute, come here. A forever change, just stretch your hands to heaven. Somebody say it with me, a forever change. Not a touch, not a blessing, but
of forever change. Come on, raise your voices to God with me right now. Begin to pray for those individuals you Give us a forever change, God. Give us a forever change. Sing it, sing it. been looking at my future I would have never seen this God but somehow God you turned things around and when I thought all hope was gone you caused hope to live again I praise you for it right now God I think I give you praise for it, Father. I give you praise for it. In
a forever change. 18 years old, I met a little girl I thought was 17. She wasn't. She was 14 but didn't tell me. Got acquainted with her. She was in Missouri. I was in Southern Illinois. And we met for a moment. I had no way to know that that was going to be a forever change in my life. I didn't feel it when we first met. I didn't know it. But how many of you know God knows what you don't know? God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I ended up going back to Missouri just to play racquetball, I thought. There was going to be a fellowship meeting at that little girl's church. And so I thought I'd go. I went and asked her if she'd like to go out and get something to eat. She said, I need to go ask my mom. thought about that for a while <laughs> see my dad died at 15 and so I, while I loved my mom and my mom was there for me I was kind of not on my own but just walking my journey and I didn't ask about a lot of things that I should have their mom, her mom said yes, and we went out. And I thought it was just a chance meeting. Do you realize that God knew then that we would travel the world together, that we would become pastors of this church, and we were both clueless? God knows what his thoughts are concerning you. And they're thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a hope and an expected end. So no matter where you find yourself at this moment, you need to understand that's not your final destination. Where you're at now is not the end of your journey. I get excited because I think, God, what are we doing together next? What do you mean next? Are you leaving? No. And see, now he's given me a whole family. And I love to take family vacations. <laughs> so wherever God leads us, we're going to go together. Come on and give me a hand clap of praise in here today. I, I want you to hear this, and I'm going to let you go, I promise. But I, I do want you to get this, that everything that happens isn't good. Because sometimes if we're not careful when we're preaching messages like this, we, we, you know, unintentionally we can make people think that, well, you know, God ordered everything in your life. There was a lot of things in your life that God did not order, but he intercepted and helped you through. Yes. And while everything that happens isn't good, God has given us a promise that he will work it for good because he loves you. He cares about you. 
And the end of your journey is going to be so much greater than the beginning. Amen. So I want you, I want you to take somebody by the hand, just grab someone by the hand, look them in the eye and say this with me. Say this with me. Are you ready? You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> I mean, man, the best is still yet to come. Come on, let's give him a shout of praise. <laughs> Remember, we have a meeting in the conference room if you're interested in VBS. Let me bless you as you go out. Father, I thank you, God, for this family. I pray your blessing over them. Smile upon each one. Bless them in the field and in the city. Bless their coming and their going. God, make them the head and not the tail. And let them forever walk in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. And it feels like the end, oh Lord. You are mine.